0: Hello and welcome to the Hoff Podcast. I'm Daniel Turner, the pastor of the Tyler House of Faith. We take these messages from our weekly services and then release them here on our podcast channel for you. We hope you dig it. I've been really digging this track, this legacy series that we've been on. I'm not a series guy, I don't normally do this, and I love to teach the scriptures, but it's been really awesome and encouraging to me to see that every time I feel like not only is, are these stories written for us, as it says in First Corinthians 10 and you know, Romans 15, these, these happenings of the Old Testament were written for us to see them, um, for us to learn from, for us to glean from, but also um, that there's a word of the Lord that seems to be coming out for our house and for our people. For everyone who listens to this, really, I feel like there's, there's really a word of the Lord, and I feel like I really have one today, you know. And so I've been really kind of stirred and excited about this message, and it's taken some turns, but I'm still, uh, we're still going to be in Genesis 18, as we, where we left off last week, in this series of Legacy. But um, today I, I want to talk about fire and brimstone, and the wrath of God. And um, everyone kind of puckers up when you say something like that. They, they, they clench up a little bit. You know, but um, I'm, I'm actually not joking. I like really want to because I think the wrath of God and the love of God cannot be separated from one another. And the fear of the Lord actually is not being afraid of your dad. You know, Isaiah 11, when it prophesied about this branch, this Messiah, this who we've come to realize was God in the flesh, it said that. Of the sevenfold spirit of God in Revelation, Isaiah 11 says the spirit of the Lord, which is the angel of the Lord, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, counsel and might knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Out of these seven, it says that his delight and his delight is in the fear of the Lord. The delight of the son and the father was in the fear of the Lord. And the son of God was not looking over his shoulder worried that the father was going to smack him upside of his head. No, he wasn't. He knew that his dad was with him and he loved him wholeheartedly. wholeheartedly. He called him Abba. And we've been brought into that relationship of Abba and this is my beloved. We're right in the very center of that relationship on both ways. And so as we talk about fire, brimstone, wrath, I wanna actually, maybe I'll start off with the wrath of God in the New Testament before we even start off in Genesis 18. In Romans 1.18, says that for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And um, I think a lot of times, maybe we've, we've looked at something like that, and we think like the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against unrighteous men and women, naughty people. You know what I mean? But if you zoom out and unplug from the knowledge of good and evil and this mentality that God is bipolar and schizophrenic, and you look at Romans 1.18, you see that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all the ungodliness and against all the unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. It says, because um, what, may be known, what may be known of God is manifested to them, for God has shown it to them. And when I zoom out and I look at that, and not, not in a twisted way of God, I think, like, wait a second. He pours out his wrath against this unrighteousness and this ungodliness that's poisoned mankind to, to not be able to see what is right before their eyes that he's revealing to them. And what that verse is saying is the wrath of God is poured out on that which holds his family back from truly seeing him and walking with him. The wrath, the rage, this fire of God, this fire and brimstone even, if you could see it, is literally poured out against everything which holds his family back from walking in the fullness of their inheritance. And that actually is the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, as we'll see. So we'll start in Genesis 18, I guess we started in Romans 1, but we'll actually start, that was like the the pre-credits of the movie before we start watching it, you feel me? So it's like, we'll start in Genesis 18, that was the scroll down like Star Wars, and we're going to read this and we're going to look at it like a movie. Remember, that's one thing to be reminded of when we read the Bible, this is meditative literature. You know, King David writes, Selah, you know what I'm saying? You know, meditate on these things. I meditate on the law of God. He would say those things like meditate on, on the rules. It's like, no, you know, God would come and tell Joshua, don't be afraid going into the promised land. No matter what, don't be afraid. Keep my law in your mind, and your heart at all times. Keep this word before you keep this. What they knew is the, the five books of the Bible, The pen, you know, Moses, it's even called. Like, keep this in front of you, understand what's going on here. And that's what we're going to do today. When we start off in Genesis 18... Where we left off is this beautiful reality of here's Abraham again. Now his name's been changed from Abram to Abraham. The heth, the breath of God has been inserted into his name. He's tried to do things in his own strength. He's tried to re- reproduce even the promise of God, and he's created Ishmael. Um, uh, but now God has come and said, hey, no, Isaac is coming. I know you're an old geezer. I know you're 99 years old, but this time next year, your wife's going to have a kid. Sarah's laughing about it, you know, we watched that. He's at this place, the Oaks of Mamre. He's at this, kind of almost like this mystical setting of these oak trees, once again, where all these visitations seem to happen for all these guys. And the Lord, it says, Yahweh walks up physically with two other men with him, which we come to realize that they're angels. And he walks by and he starts talking to Abraham. And he says, hey, by the way, it's go time. I'm putting a time limit on this birth, on this, on this child of promise, on the lineage through which all of the nations, all the families of the world will be blessed. It's happening now, right? But he gives him one other promise. And I won't go, it's, you know, it's hard for me not to reteach that, but I'm going to stop right there and do, do a better job. I'm going to keep going because most of you know the story of your hero last week. But he gives him something else. He prophesies this to him. He tells him this. I will be honest a lot of scholars are split on this these three men some people think it's the the Trinity walking through I don't fully believe that it is I think I could see where that picture is there but the way it seems to make it is that Yahweh himself is embodied walking through with two angels because the two angels go on to Sodom and so that's what I really believe that it is Um, but they Abraham makes them this special meal you know what I'm saying he's sitting there eating they get done eating and basically what ends up happening is, is Abraham goes, all right, you know, you know, it's nice to see you guys or whatever. And <laughs> yeah, um, the two angels get up and it says they start to walk to Sodom. They start to walk in that direction. Abraham has no idea what's coming, but we've seen the promise of the tree of life come and be prophesied over this lineage. But now we see the other tree that we've talked about in this war, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And um, it's interesting, in verse 17 um, of Genesis 18, it says, The Lord says something to the two angels, which is, this is so funny. He says, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? And um, do you think Yahweh embodied is actually getting counsel from angels to give him advice? No, he's not. Now, do you remember when Jesus comes to raise Lazarus and he starts to pray? And he says, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I know that you always hear me. But it's for their sake that I say that. Remember, Jesus prayed out loud in front of Lazarus' tomb in front of people, and he kind of prayed almost like bringing people in. Thank you that you've heard me. And and like, hey, and I know that you always do, but I'm saying this so that they can catch all what's going on. Jesus, the embodiment, the word of God, the Logos, he comes and he demonstrates the reality of this walk. And here go the angels, they start to walk down the road. They've eaten this steak and stuff that Abraham's made them, they're leaving. And Yahweh embodied, which is Jesus. He's the fullness of deity embodied. We see that in the New Testament, you know, Colossians 2.9. We see that the word of the Lord has came to Abraham for the first time in the Bible. The word was with God and the word was God, John 1. So we know who this person is. This is Jesus, right? We're watching this movie. And now we see Jesus saying to some angels, you think I should tell him what we're about to do? Like that, which is just bait. Like, wait, what? What's going on? And then he says, since Abraham shall surely become great in a mighty nation and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. He reminds him of who he is, what his promises is, what his promises are. And he tells him what? For I've known him in order that I may command his children and his household after him that they would keep the way of the Lord and do righteousness and justice. That the Lord may bring to Abraham all that he has spoken to them. So here's somebody that we know. Anybody ever watched Star Wars when they were a kid? The one from the 80s? Yeah, the majority of us. Unless you're, you know, from somewhere, weird place or something. Maybe, I don't know. Anyway, it's like they, were, they, they made these movies of Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader and all these things. And then in the 90s, they made prequels. And so they made episode four, five, and six. But then in the 90s, they come back and make new movies, episode one, two, and three. And you're watching it. And some people are watching it like, oh, look, little Anakin Skywalker. you got cute little blonde hair. You know, he's such a good little pilot. But everyone who's watched the new ones are like, no. He's going to be a really bad dude. That's a, you know, we've seen the other piece before we've seen that piece. And this is the age that we live in. The age that we've been born into, that we've been manifested on the earth, we've seen the revelation of who God is. And that's the most important thing you can have when reading the Bible. It, it is. We've seen the second half. We've seen the New Covenant. We've seen the Logos. We've seen the Word of God who these people did not know in the Old Testament. We've seen Jesus who, who's been prophesied over and over. The, the, the capstone, the cornerstone which the builders would reject. You know, the plumb line the measuring line, the, the you know the word, the logos, the embodiment of Yahweh. We, we understand that he is the highest revelation of who God is. Anything that doesn't line up with him isn't really God. Even in the Old Testament, if it looks like somebody else, then it's not him. He's in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. And when we see him, then we see him in the Old Testament, and we see what was going on. So, did that work? You, you you're tracking with me? So we're watching this, the passion of the Christ with like, you know, Jim Caviezel's Jesus. We're watching this movie of Abraham and we're seeing Jim Caviezel back there with a couple of angels walking through, right? We're seeing Jesus walk through Abraham's tent and the Oaks of Mamre, this really beautiful setting and saying, hey, you think I should share with him what we're about to do in Sodom? You know, seeing how like the whole, na- the whole world is going to be blessed through his lineage because they're going not- to walk in righteousness and know the ways of God. Point number one, there's something about knowing God or knowing about God, but there's something entirely different about knowing God's ways. That's a major Easter egg, pun intended, in that story that he says this lineage is called to know the ways of the Lord. They're called to see Jesus, the fullness of deity, and not be tricked into some other bipolar knowledge of good and evil uh, version of God. And they're going to see him and they're going to walk in his ways. When Moses asked to see, to know God, it was one thing. But when he said, show me your ways, then God took him to the future, showed him his whipped back and revealed to him who he truly was right? Exodus 33 and 4. So this is happening for us to see, but we have to see it. This meditative literature, and we've got to see this because it will change everything that we're doing in our life. Everything. So should I do this because they're going to know my ways? Of course, Abraham, if you know the story, starts, he pipes in because Jesus, or the Lord, the, the embodiment of Yahweh, Yahweh with hands and feet, He says, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is very great because their sin is very grave. And I'm going down to see what's going on there for myself. Abraham connects the dots and he knows that means something more than, oh, I'm going to go check it out. He instantly realizes, he he equates it to something very wicked because he probably already knew it was going on there. And he starts pleading with the Lord not to destroy all the righteous people there. Can you imagine that? We're looking at this, right? We're looking at Jesus. We're we're looking at the same person in this movie because we've seen the new ones. We've seen the originals. We know who he truly is. We see him telling his disciples in John 14, 30, the ruler of this world's coming. Satan's coming after me, but there's nothing in me that he has. Um, There's nothing in me that he has. He won't push any button in me that's going to cause me to strike you guys back. I'm not him. Right? We see him strung up on a tree, getting his face ripped off, his beard ripped off, and all these terrible things. And all that's coming out of him is forgiven him, they're ignorant. They have no clue what they're doing. That's all we see from him. He never judges with darkness. He never comes and he strikes back. And so here we see somebody pleading with God. And if you've seen this story, Abraham starts, Will you destroy the righteous with the wicked? Is that what you're really like? He's learning who God is. And God's revelation is coming to him of who he truly is. And he says, well, what if there's 50 righteous people? And if you see the Genesis 18, it's funny. It says negotiation because Jesus or the Lord, the Logos, the word of God, Yahweh embodied is like, hey, if there's 50, I won't destroy it. He's like, okay, cool. What about 45? And he's patient with them. And, and, and it's not like, get away. I'm the, I'm the boss. I'm the master. You know what I'm saying? He's like, okay, buddy, if there's 45, I won't. All right, cool. Thanks. But hey. I don't want to be pushy. What if there's 40? All right. What if there's 30? And this goes on. What if there's 20? What if there's 10? Which there's symbolism in those numbers most likely. And, but it's like he, he whittles them down. Oh, he deals them down. Oh, what if there's 10 righteous people there? Surely. And finally, we see Jesus standing there. He doesn't. He just sees this God that he's met, that he's following. He's left his family lineage for to establish some new culture. And we see Jesus patiently, the Lord, Yahweh, saying, okay, buddy, ten people there. You got my word. Don't worry about it. I won't blow it up for that. You know what I mean? Just gently going with them. What he doesn't know is those angels are going to pluck Sodom. They're, They're going to catch Lot. God had mercy on Lot. They were going to rescue him anyways. But what was going on in Sodom was so much darker and so much more evil than I think even people realize today. They have no clue what that looked like. And um that's some of the stuff that I think is important for us to see as we get into Genesis 19 because that's the end of the story and then it starts the next portion of this movie it shows those angels walking up to the outer gates of that city those two men those two angels that look like humans Um, and that's where we're at now but this is where I warn you that this is rated R this movie okay this chapter is rated it, it this is sensitive I mean or it's it's mature, but there's things in it that are so incredibly valuable for us to see. And it's not, say the sinner's prayer so that you don't go to hell and you die. That's what has been made. That's not at all what this is. But it is the wrath of God, which is actually the love of God, which is delivering people from something insanely dark. We see Abraham, even if you can look at it, when he sees the outcry is great, I'm going down to see what's going on. He instantly takes it straight back to Noah. In his mind. He's, he takes it straight back like, Whoa, I know what happens when the outcry is great and you show up. The place is about to get drowned out. And he starts instantly pleading him not to destroy righteous people. He doesn't even say, I'm going there to judge it. I'm going to destroy it. He just says, the outcry is great. I'm going to see what's going on. And he just already jumps and he, knows, he already knows this is going to go dark. We understand the days of Noah. We've been thorough with that. We understand Genesis 6. We understand the root of all of that corruption. Ever since the tree of the knowledge, the serpent, the nekos, the rebellion on the earth. But an even greater rebellion, Genesis 6. Where it says the sons of daughters came in to the daughters of men. They connected with them and produced their own offspring. And started to corrupt all the flesh in the the entire world. Ancient Jewish writings will talk a lot about that. Talk a lot about even the animals being corrupted. All kinds of monsters and stuff that were created. It's a lot for some people, but it is the history of our planet and of the world. And if you don't see that, it's hard to see the true biblical narrative as clearly as it's written. Saying that for a reason. Sodom happens after Babel happens. That same type of wickedness is in Sodom. When we zoom out and we see Genesis 18, we see the two trees of the garden. We see Jeremiah 17. We see the walk of the spirit. Cursed is the man who trusts in man and and relies on his own strength. He'll be like a shrub that's planted in the desert and he won't see when the good comes. He'll be so full of fear and and his mentality will be so twisted that all the good God wants to bring to him, he won't be able to see it. And because he can't see it, he will not enter into it. Major key. See it, enter. Don't see because of fear, won't enter. Jeremiah 17, but then it goes on, but blessed, this is the tree of life, is the man who trusts in the Lord. Even if there be a famine in the land and a drought, he's like a tree, a tree, not a shrub, planted by the water and the water nourishes him and, and, and he does not cease to bear fruit in the year of drought. Even if there is a drought, he's still popping out the fruit of heaven because his, his roots are not sunk down into the economy of the matrix It is actually it is connected into the reality of heaven and this is the test this is the test walking in the spirit walking in in the flesh we think that's just worldliness but it's not it's religion knowledge of good and evil anyway so i know this is this is a lot but i but it's beautiful so we see those two trees and we see abraham and we see that we see the lot his nephew he's pursued a different route if you remember several weeks back we did the message when Lot picked the land of Sodom he was growing and he was thriving and Abraham said which side of the this region would you like to have and he the right answer would have been Abraham you've met God he's promised you this inheritance you're my family I'm going to follow you wherever the Lord tells you to go maybe he will tell me where to go but instead he is a carnal thinking man. And, he's, and he looks, what's got the best palm trees? What's got the best uh, weather? What's got the best water around it? Oh, it's got some hills that'll be safe from the enemy. And, it's, and, he, and he, boom, picks this beautiful land which ends up being full of Nephilim. And like evil. <laughs> you know what I mean? Where Abraham says, you pick, I'm following God. Right? Two different trees, two different ways of living life. Right? So Now it's catching up to him. Now it's catching up to a lot because he's in this city, which I think sometimes we picture it as just like this, like, I don't know, like a movie where it's just like the West, the okay corral and there's guns and all these loose women and bars and all that kind of stuff. But I have, I would propose that I I have a feeling Sodom was incredibly beautiful and like looked, looked wonderful. I always think of like San Diego or something. You know what I mean? I, I just think it's like it with flowing hills and, you know, mountains or whatever and this beautiful trees and all this stuff cuz he picked it because of the way it looked in the natural. And um they were there and um you know, as you see, even as even as it gets kind of kind of hairy and kind of wild, the angels literally show up to this place and nothing is as it seems. You know. And so all that to be said, the two trees, the two, the two lineages, the two different ways. We start Genesis 19, and you see these two angels. It, it shows them, as we're watching this movie, coming up to the gate. And, and Lot is actually sitting in the gate, way of the city, which usually people that were in leadership, maybe a judge, governor, king, whatever, could be sitting up in the gate. And um, it's interesting. He, he says, you know, he comes and he bows down to these two angels. And he says, my lords, please turn into your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. You know, we'll take care of you guys He's being hospita- hospitable. And they're like, no, we're going to spend the night in the open square. We're going to we're not going to go in anybody's house. We're here for something else. Very interesting. It says, but he insisted so strongly that they ended up giving in to him and coming into his house and he was serving them. This is another thing there. You know, there's there's scriptures even written in the New Testament. It's why I'm actually here. Uh, But the scriptures in the New Testament of like um, Hebrews 13 says, Do not neglect to entertain strangers, for by doing so, many have entertained angels unaware. You know, Jesus talking things like, you know, like, What you do to the least is what you do to me. The way you treat kids, the way you treat people that you see is insignificant is what you do to me. In this situation, that's for real, literal happening. These are angels, and he's being hospitable to them, providing for them, giving them shelter, covering food, water, drink, you know, serving them. But if I'm seeing this, I'm seeing this was a test and Lot is passing that test. He had an opportunity to serve that which is of the kingdom. Just like Abraham did when he made the food for the two angels and and the Lord, Yahweh, and they stayed with him and then they started communing with him and communicating with him. There's something to the servant king and his lineage, which is all of us, that when we actually step into the reality of what it means to have the heart of a servant and and align with what God is actually doing first, not even with our own life first, but with his life first, that that which we need is added to us and that is the way of life and it's the path. He insists strongly, they come and lay down, um, but it says before they were laying down, so I guess it was nighttime, it says the men of Sodom, both young and old, came and they started to accost Lot at his door, at his gate, I don't know how big his property was, just the way that kind of is worded. It says Lot goes out to him and shuts the door behind him. Um, But they say something in Genesis 19.5 to where they're like, hey, where are those men that you brought in tonight? Bring Bring them out to us that we may know them carnally. That's what your new King James says. Again, graphic. We're all adults, the majority of us here, and the ones that are in here that are babies can't understand what I'm saying. But you guys understand what's going on in Sodom. They're like, we want a piece of those two right there. And some people, oh yeah, it's just, it's homosexuality, run rampant, you know? It's like, that is not what this is. It is in a very macro level. Micro level? Whatever. In a small level. But it's something else. They are, they want what they have. And they want to violate those men. And The imagery is very, very specific, and it goes straight to Genesis six. The partnerships of Genesis six that were created that corrupted the earth. That it literally says the giants, the Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterwards when this happened. It is the history of Babel. It is is the the pagan history of Marduk and all those that's written in their genealogies, the way Genesis writes our true genealogy of Babel and, and the table of nations in Genesis 10. I don't want to overdo that, but you, you follow me, you know, and if not, you know, listen to some of these. There's a bunch of them um, in the series. But it's like there, there's something more corrupt and evil going on there in their intention. That they're seeing a power grab in this, in this um, meeting. And Lot is, it, it seems, the only one standing in the way of it. The whole city, it says, is shown up. We want them. We want them for whatever reason. Highly demonic and evil. Lots, please don't do this wickedly. Don't do this evil stuff. Verse 8 of Genesis 19. Hey, I've got two daughters. Two daughters that have never been married. Have them instead. It's like, what? We've instantly taken Lot. Oh yeah, that's Abraham's nephew. He's a good guy. To like, whoa, lots. Um, lots. This is weird. This story just gets darker and darker, dude. He's like... He will do anything to preserve these two, these two guys, and he even offers his own family. This man is so um, corrupted in his mind and wants what he wants that it's, if you can see the, the picture of it, it's actually, sacrifice, you know, he's sacrificing his actual family in order to preserve what he's doing. Super dark. It says the men started to reach in and try to break down this door. It was, it was a mob coming after these guys, to which the two angels... One thing is they reached out and they grabbed lot and yanked him in the house but they struck the they struck the whole mob with blindness similar to what elisha did to the syrian army right they struck that whole mob with blindness and even the way it's written is kind of cool it's it's either that they were blind or that that region became so dark that nobody could see anything in it except for them either way it's kind of kind of neat to think about you know that's maybe me since it's a movie. And it, but it's like, boom, they're, they're completely confused and they can't reach where they're going. But these angels, these two, these two angels, they get very serious. And they say, Lot, do you have anyone else here? Son-in-laws, sons, daughters. They're looking for, is there even 10 of you? you know, I mean? Is there a certain number here? I mean, they knew, they knew what was there. They're like, because, hey, we're here, to, we're here to destroy this place. It says, Lot goes and speaks to his sons-in-law which, you know, it's the way that's written. I think it's the men that were betrothed that were going to be married to his daughters. And it's like, get up, we got to get out. The Lord's going to wreck Sodom. And it says in, in Genesis 19, 14, his, his sons-in-law, to them, it seemed like he was joking. It was like, come on, dude. Oh, crazy lot, getting all crazy and religious. Like, no, you don't understand. And we think like, wow, it's depraved. But I I'll, I'll, I'll just like to, to kind of pose that It must have been such a beautiful place that they wanted to be there so badly in the first place. We think of it as just like the super garbage place, but what must have been the draw? And what must they they must have felt so secure there. God's going to wreck this place. Like, he can't wreck this place. They had a completely different mindset. There's nothing going to happen here. And we're looking at the story like, no, he he almost just gave y'all's soon-to-be wives away to this violence, and they weren't even taking it seriously because they felt so secure there. Very interesting, you know. It makes me feel like there's almost like this dark, um, secret society, underground thing that was in Sodom that when you were there it was this beautiful and wonderful place, but there was roots behind the scenes that were so dark and intentions that was so evil and that they were trying to produce something that was so dark. And here is God, the tree of knowledge and the tree of life. And seeing he's given this one promise, boom, Isaac's coming. The promise is coming. And in the same breath, and hey, by the way, and I'm going direct shop on this. The very thing, the evil, the darkness, the sons of the serpent, you know, the, the Nakash, just as he said, you know, the woman's son is going to crush the head of your son. It's like, in one, he's actually providing for him to come. And the other one, he's providing that those ones that will be raised to attack the son of promise. I'm going to wipe them out at their root. If you can see that, it's fully there. It's very, it's very telegraphed what's going on there. And the funny thing is, is people with a carnal mind couldn't see which one would be the right one. And that's bizarre. But that's, the, that's Babylon. That's the religious machine to this day, if you ask me ask me about it sometime if you want but I mean I just think that's what uh, so Lot spoke speaks to his son-in-laws they thought he was joking but it says when the morning dawned, the angels were urging Lot and saying hurry arise and it says while he lingered in other words like he was like ah, I don't want to do this ah. you know it's, it's interesting him and his wife it says it grabbed his wife and the two daughters and Lot it says the angels took them by the hand it says it like he they forcefully drug them out of their house and sent them on their way that's another thing to think about it was like whoa you were so comfortable there and you so wanted to just dig in and stay there. We're just looking at it as a story that goes really fast. But what was the draw that you're like, no, you know what I mean? That you wanted to be there so bad that they had to force you to leave. Like, do you realize what almost happened to your kids last night? <laughs> you know what I mean? You almost sold prostituted your kids in order to be comfortable where you guys were at. You're sacrificing them to be where you were at. It's like, That's nuts. That is crazy. But that's where they were at. It says it came to pass. They brought him outside, and they told him. What did they tell him? Don't look behind. Don't look back. Escape to the mountains, lest you be destroyed. But, but, but Lot, here he goes again. I don't want to go there. I want to go to Zoar. I want to go to this town. It's a little city. Let us go there. Some some There's messaging in there, and some... Some commentaries believe that he's communicating that, like, "Hey, I want to go to the small city. Like, I want he wanted to be the king of that city or the chief. Give me that one instead, you know. That there was like ambition or something in his heart or something. You know, it's it's strange. It's such an ancient book. You know what I mean? But the angels were like, they granted to him. Okay, that's the plan. Go there, and they said, go there now because we can't do what we're going to do here until you're gone. And it says because God had this mercy for Lot, he was being gracious to him." And I look at that and I was like, wow, here's the wrath of God. Here's Sodom and Gomorrah. Here's fire and brimstone coming. But it's like Lot and his family weren't corrupted. And even though they tried not to cooperate, the goodness of God came and said, okay, I'm going to just pluck you all out of here. I'm going to pop you. I'm going to grab you out of here and yank you all out of here and set you in a better place. But you've got to go. And he was kind to him like that. And I'm going to do this, but I can't until you're gone. That's what these angels told him. So they left. You understand what happens? It's, it says it really quick. It says he overthrew the cities. You know, he rained the fire and brimstone on there, it says of the Lord. Genesis 19, 24. Over the cities. It says, but the wife looked back and became a pillar of salt. And it just keeps going after that. And I'm like, hey, that's a big deal. You know what I mean? You think about that. The lady turned turn on. Whoosh, you know, she becomes this pillar of salt or whatever. I don't know if it sounded like that but you know she turned around and it's like dang that's but that's something these things were written for us it says did it really happen oh yeah is there real pillars of salt all over that place that look like people oh yeah i mean not like statues of people but they're like people size it's true in that region um however that really did happen very interesting meditative let's watch it We'll, we'll we'll talk about the movie when we're done watching the movie yeah then Lot went up to Zoar, the place where he negotiated to be able to go. Genesis nineteen thirty. And his daughters were with him, but he was afraid to go to Zoar. Fear gripped him again, and instead of doing what the Lord had told him through angels, like okay yes you have permission we've got it's like duty obviously has you covered. He's came and he's rescued you from this. You see it burning like you realize wow he saved our life and he's powerful. But fear still gripped him because he looked and he thought things that way. He didn't didn't trust or rely on the Lord. He didn't even know the Lord. He knew of the Lord, but Abraham was the one walking with the Lord and knowing him. And that's a big difference. That's a very big difference. He sees him, they go up there, he loses his wife, like that's traumatic, but he gets scared and he says, I'm not going into that city for whatever reason. And then they end up going into some hills instead and living in a cave. And I wish that was the end, but we're all adults. You know what ends up happening if you've read this story. He, he steered his family into such isolation because of his fear. He isolated his people. So much that they lived in a cave and his daughters come up with this idea, we're never going to have kids. We're hidden away. And it says they, they get their father... So intoxicated that he's completely blacked out and they take advantage of him in two nights in a row and both have kids by their father. That's terrible. I'm a dad. I can't imagine that. I don't even like reading that. But it's written for us and it's the word of the Lord. And why is it there? What's so valuable? He steered his place with, he was living in a place of preservation and fear. And he steered his family into a place where they felt they had no other choice. They would never reproduce unless they drugged their father with you know, alcohol to the point where it says he did not even know when he lied down or woke up. So he had no clue about it and stole his seed from him so that they could reproduce. And they, they reproduce, I forget. It's Moab who becomes the Mo, Moamites, and, and basically Ben-Ami who becomes the Ammonites. So they, they, the lineages of these women end up being people that are going to persecute, fight, and attack the lineages of Abraham, you know what I mean, and they're going to link up with a lot of the demonic that's in the world in those days. The Nephilim link arms, and they're trying—they're going to try from that tree of knowledge's birth to to quench out the seed of the tree of life, which is going to come from Abraham's lineage. So the war of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life—we're seeing the story, but we're seeing how it's taking place, even when the graciousness and goodness of God is. Trying to get Lot to steer outside of fear and start following him, he still doesn't do it. Puts his family in a place of jeopardy, and then instead of like the 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 blessing of Abraham and even the promise of Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply, you know what I'm saying? do the earth, and instead of actually uh, multiplying in the correct way that God had designed them to, they end up producing the image of their own father because of the things he wouldn't deal with into the world. We were with some uh, like some some of our family the other day, and we were just talking stuff that we kind of talk about at church all the time. But it's like, it's kind of like Lot. It's like the things as parents, what I said last week, we can get our kids to memorize the Apostles' Creed. I can get them to memorize John 3 and have it written on on their bedroom wall and paint that's fluorescent and glows in the dark. So it's ingrained in them, John 3. You know, we can do all these things, but the reality is the energy of our hearts and the state of our life and our walk with the Lord is what is going to raise our children. Amen. It just is, man. Amen. That's just what it is. Amen. And um, it's like the things that we don't choose to deal with, you know what I'm saying? The things that I recognize even in my own heart that does happen. When I'm being led a fear, when I'm, when I'm being in a, in a place of pressure, anxiety, and I'm letting it change my personality out of the fruit of His Spirit, and that anxiety and, and pressure causes my kids to have to walk on eggshells and be nervous about this and that. It's like that energy is what's raising them, but it is also grooming them. And it is also, uh, uh, that fruit is being fed to them and they are becoming that way. <laughs> you know? And we were talking to some of our friends, like, yeah, hey, we realize it's, it's not what we have them memorize. It is like, do we have a yes like Abraham in our heart to truly follow the Lord? to deal with the issues of the heart, you know, to not isolate ourselves, to not, to not self-medicate, but to actually walk in the wholeness that's provided in this new covenant because, because our lineage depends on it. It is, the, it is the water in which they are swimming in and it is the river of life that is clear crystal and it flows from the throne of God or, or maybe it starts off that way, but it goes off into tributary and becomes a pond and I ain't drinking no pond water. Feel me? You know, like, and that's what they're saying. Um, but I look at Lot and I look at the fear. And when I think of, like, the legacy series, it was like the legacy of Lot. You know what I'm saying? Well, the legacy of Lot was he was so steered in fear that he made decisions that were not based on trusting the Lord because he, he's, a, he's a very much a, um, an example of somebody that knew who God was but did not have a relationship with him. He even had ex- angelic experiences, blah, 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 but he never walked out. That true relationship and because of that his lineage his legacy was his lineage was literally of the tree of knowledge which would war against the tree of life and jesus said things man he who does not gather with me scatters and it's like hey buddy that's getting a little aggressive it's like no i'm god it's like that sounds really really extreme But I've believed this with my whole heart for 10 years I've been saying it. And it's like, he who doesn't walk in the light, as it says in 1 John 1, 7, when you walk in the light as he is in the light, you have fellowship with one another and the blood of Christ cleanses you from from your sin. We know that we're forgiven of sin, but there's something of the fellowship, the koinonia, which is the church and the body, that the blood flows between people and it causes the reversal of the effects of that sin in your bloodline and your DNA. I fully and totally believe that. I know that I believe solidly that that's what that's saying. Because we know we've been forgiven. It's like, well, now we've got to do something else in order to be cleansed of it. It's like, no, we're, we're called to walk this life of wholeness out. And even in relationship, in the place where you're called to be and function and build and pursue the, the, the city that has foundations, whose builder and maker is God, that was the difference between Abraham. And that was the difference between Lot. And it's like those who will not walk in the light will attack the light. And people say, well, that's kind of extreme. It's like it's not. Those who don't walk in the light will eventually attack the light. They will find a reason to try to attack it. I've seen it my whole life. But also the word says it. Logos. Jesus, I mean the word. Like the word, word, baby. Like the word. You know, the eternal word. The son of the father. The eternal son. You know, like the king himself of all the universe. The creator of all things. He doesn't gather me. He scatters. It's like, hey, I don't want to gather. I just want to check out. It's like, no, you check out, you scatter. And it's like, that's extreme. That's challenging, but that's the Bible, dude. You're building or you're tearing down. People, are like, I can't be that extreme. It can be that extreme. I know it sounds aggressive. I told you this is this is a hit. this this message is got a little hot, a little heat to it, a little fire to it, if you will, a little brimstone maybe, <laughs> you know. Um, but when we see the reality, it's like God was burning the place that was holding Lot back. He was pulling them out of it. It's interesting, people get in such a place of fear that it'll cause them to have a distorted view and they'll look back into the past with, eye, with nostalgia glasses, like, oh, the good old days, you know what I'm saying? And what happens is then those dead things that you've walked out of from the past, they, they transform, they, they flow right in through your lineage into the present. Thanks for the free ticket. Now we're here with you. That's what happened to her. She became a pillar of salt. She she turned around, afraid of where they were going, and it caused what they had already overcome, what the Lord had already brought them out of, to come right back and her to be in it. Wild, isn't it? Think about the Israelites. What kept them out of the promised land? Fear. Yeah, dude. They saw the Nephilim. No. Scary. We're like grasshoppers compared to them. They rip our heads off. They got into a place of fear and complaining against Moses all the time, which was against God. Man, back in Egypt, we had all of our food. We had, we had, a little, we had pizza night on Wednesdays. We had, you know, we had, our needs were met. At least we weren't starving, uh, thirsting, you know, for days. Like, we, they literally wanted to go back to Egypt. They looked at it with nostalgia. And it caused them not to step into the promised land. You know, that fear warped their minds because they didn't want to go forward. And so they they troubleshoot it any which way and it went straight back into the machine itself. The religious machine, the tree of knowledge, which we're, mm, yeah, the religious machine. It's like, hey, you were actually in bondage when you were there. You had to be medicated and self-medicated and drugged and drunk and all kinds of stuff just to even survive back there, just to make it and you were a slave. And they made, they they increased your burdens. They treated you treacherously and terribly. Like, do you not remember that? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like they, they're looking back and it's just like, hey, like David said, there's a cause, man. There's a purpose. Is there not a cause? Like, let's kill this giant. What are we doing? It's about the walk of faith. What does it say about Abraham though? Hebrews 11, sorry to get so heated up, but it's like, look, I live this. I love this. It's like he was searching for a city which has foundations, whose, whose builder and maker is God. He was not content. Like, yeah, Sodom's beautiful and all that, but I'm looking for something that's different. It has foundations. Yeah. We're reading this. We've seen the second half. We've seen Return of the Jedi now. We, 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 we know what he's talking about. The foundations is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Paul's like, there is no other foundation but Jesus. I did it, Apollos did it, all these people are like, yeah, but if it's on Jesus, is it on Jesus in the fullness of what he's called to do? We're looking for a city which has foundations, strange thing to say, whose builder and maker is God. That means it's invisible. That means it's invisible in a sense. The foundation is Jesus and you can recognize it, but every single person has a part in it. Every single person comes to the building, the city, and they see the foundation of the Lord, but like one person sees, boom, I see the blueprint right here in my, in my mind. And one person says, I see this, this portion of the blueprint. Everybody has different places to play, that's Ephesians 4, but it's like they, they see different places and the blueprint is in the mind and the eyes of the builders, which are the sons and daughters. You know? And they see what needs to be done and they put their hands to it. But it's just like Nehemiah. You got one hand on a weapon, one hand on a tool. Because the thing is real. But it's worth it. Okay. Yeah, the book of Jude. I'll close. I'll just make these last little points that I wrote down. The book of Jude pairs Genesis 6 and Sodom together. The The imagery is there. The angels who didn't keep their proper domain, but left their abode, he reserved for everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. You got that from Enoch, but it's in our Bible. As, as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them were similar in manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual morality and gone after strange flesh and gone after flesh that was not meant for them to be connected to. Yes, I. Hmm, point. Major things we see. Abraham begging Jesus not to destroy righteous people. We're watching that movie like, dude, you have no idea who you're talking to. He doesn't destroy anyone. You know, Think about John 3. This is the condemnation. When we we'll talk about fire and brimstone, John 3, Jesus says, this is the condemnation that the light manifests, but people love their darkness more. And so they don't come to it. You mean like you throwing on them into hell, right? The brimstone, right? No, this is the condemnation guys. The light manifests and that same free choice they had in the knowledge of good and evil garden in the garden of Eden, that same free choice is there and they can choose to walk in it or they can walk in their own ways. It's not enough to know about God. We actually have to know His ways. That's a different level of intimacy. Abraham was learning. Abraham made mistakes and did the dumbest things in the world. And it's kind of funny. But guess what? He was showing us that he's a regular person that was seeking to follow God. But his heart was right with God. His heart wanted to follow God. So God would always bail him out. You know what I mean? He was always walking with him. He, was always, he, he would always make that choice. And I love that. There's something so much more. Isaiah says it in Isaiah 2 and Micah 4. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. And the people will come to that mountain and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us his ways and we will walk in his paths. There's something so much different and it's a standard and it's something, as, even as a church, like in the last days or the latter days or the end times or in this times, it's like the mountain of the Lord's house. It's called a mountain for one, which is incredible. The church, the people of God. It's the beacon of light, the city that's on a hill. is called to be a place that's exalted above the other mountains. In other words, from the Lord's household, all the other mountains of the world are blessed whether it's medical, whether it's entertainment, whether it's athletics, definitely with it's arts. That's a million times. That's a lot of our calling here, y'all's calling. I mean, it's just, you know, to manifest God. But law enforcement, investigations, all that stuff is supposed to be profoundly blessed by the Lord's house. Yeah. But a defining figure of it, what people will say is, come let us go up to the mountain. They'll teach us about the ways of God there the mountain of his house. There's such a big distinction from knowing about God or even a twisted version of God to actually learning his ways. And there's nothing more exhilarating. There's not, there's not a greater honor in this world than the ability that we have been given with that veil being torn to know him, to walk with him, and to follow him and to be about his purposes in the world. There's nothing. Father Abraham, our grandfather, is sitting on that rock telling us, kids, this is what happened to your uncle lot. But listen, I'm telling you, follow him. Go all in with him. He used to meet me at these trees. He used to show up in my life. But he lives in you now. I can't believe it. It's incredible. I wish I had what you had. He lives in you and he's with you. Don't neglect that reality. He's inside of you, kids. That's what Abraham would be telling us right now. He's with you. He's in you. You can know him. Oh, I didn't have time today. It's like, hey, don't ever say, su- I mean, see that for the perspective of what it really means. You know what I mean? You have the opportunity to meet with him and commune with him, fellowship and walk with his ways right now, dude. And not only that, you have your, ha- your, you have your opportunity to come to the, to the reality of the city that has foundations and see what's needed in it and throw your weight into it. If you believe it's of the kingdom, throw your weight all the way into it. And, and it, will, it will cause you to step into the, to the family business and into the inheritance that you'll be the head and not the tail. You will thrive. I feel our household and I feel people in the world. I have this sense of when the Lord, for the first time, it says, the word of the Lord came, which we know that's Jesus, he was that word. And he literally comes to Abraham and he talks to him and he gives him his promise. Abraham's still got a fearful grid. He still thinks in the ways of his fathers. And he says, come out of your tent and look up at the sky. Look up at the stars. And it starts to make sense that like, hey, I've called you out of your dad's house. You've, you've dealt with this, what you thought was your inheritance. And this, what you thought was an opportunity And sometimes it's hard to take the train off the tracks. Like, no, this is the way my family's always done it. And they say that it should be done. And I've got to follow suit like this. And it feels like a lot of pressure. But I feel that voice of the Lord calling people all over the world right now. um, And saying, hey, come outside of your tent. Come out of your dad's house. It's not a rebellious thing. But but it's, it's like, hey, come out of the way you've been groomed or where you've been grown or the way you've thought it should look like. And let me show you what it looks like. Let me, sh- let me show you things that you can see because once you can see it, then you have something to gun at because the blueprint, the DNA of it's in you, you know. If you see it, you can actually have it and you can implement it and you can run with it. And he's calling people's minds out of this old ways of thinking and fearful, uh, navigating their life and he's like, hey guys, follow me. Follow me.